الله يكسر البوجوازية فلوس هنجا هن بالتصريق يا ميستيك اير ميسكرين سوفي ميستيك يونغ ايب اولد تريكس Welcome to On Resistance Radio. Would it be like? I am Esho, and I'll be your moderator for today's On Resistance Radio. Today's dialogue will be on anti-blackness, or rather, anti-black culture here in America. Before we start today's dialogue, I would like to read a quote. End quote. Until the philosophy which holds one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned, Everything is war. Me say war. That until there is no longer first class and second class citizens of any nation, until the color of a person's skin is of no more significance than the color of their eyes, me say war. That until basic human respects are equally granted to all without regard to race, me say war. Unquote. Bob Marley. The philosophy in which he is speaking of, one race superior to another, is white supremacy. Moreover, a philosophy of anti-blackness. Welcome to On Resistance Radio. To get us started, let everyone say their name. And for an icebreaker, let's say a cartoon uh, character that we would recruit for the revolution. Uh, I'll start it off. And I think I would ask Bugs Bunny. I'll be like, yo, Bugs Bunny, listen, once you come over here, you know, this side of the line, and throw those carrots as darts. I'm Anthony. The character I would recruit to join the revolution is Gerald from Hey Arnold, because he had some pretty revolutionary parents, and uh, yeah, just gen- nope. in general had the vo- a good voice on that show. My name is Candace, and I would not recruit because I do not believe recruiting for the revolution. Whoa, I like that. Hello, I'm X, and I would want to involve someone in the revolution, like Storm. Storm would be definitely a person because, like, they're one of the most powerful, like, type five mutants ever. And, like, I would definitely want them, like, Hanging out with me. <laughs> Storm just throwing lightning right <laughs> at the police. Um, I'm J Ray. Um, I can't really think of a cartoon, but I'd probably see if Xena's in solidarity with us and we could just exactly take on some oppressors. Cool. So, like we said, today's discussion is going to be on anti-blackness. The definition that we have come up with as a work in progress is the philosophy, the social, economic, spiritual, political, and military dominance that holds and sees dark human beings, black people, as less than human or non-human. It achieves this by targeting black culture and black bodies specifically to achieve and maintain genocide. The definition was the philosophy, the social, economic, spiritual, political, and military dominance that holds and sees dark human beings, black people, as less than human or non-human by targeting black culture, black bodies specifically to achieve and maintain genocide. So I guess I'm just going to start the discussion with asking a question. How do everyone here sees anti-blackness in everyday life? Well, I am polycultural multiracial so i see anti-blackness 
in relation to other, you know, races that I inherit, I often feel that I, I am excluded from Black culture at times. I'm not Black enough, or I'm not Filipino enough, or I'm not Indigenous enough. I feel like I shouldn't ascribe to any one particular, you know, race to be a whole person. So I experience it that way. Institutionally, I'd say that I I think how it's displayed to me is like when I'm on the street and I'm hanging out or trying to be productive, you'll see the police like stopping black people, you'll see the police stopping brown people and they get they regularly get, you know, ticketed or like arrested or killed to like resist that often I will watch, you know, when somebody is being um, detained or ticketed or like or something that calls to me. It's like, I want to be there for them if like things go down. You're just standing, just standing with them. Yeah. Or just watching these officers and making sure nothing goes awry. One of the things I've like noticed about uh, anti-black culture in everyday life is the genocidal aspects of just the continuation of throwing a lot of young men of color um, and young women of color is, is like rising into like these prisons. The UN definition of genocide is killing members of a group, causing serious bodily harm or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole and or part, imposing measures intended to prevent birth within that group falsely transfer children of that group to another group. And just from that definition, one of the things I notice most is when we turn on our news and just the killings of young uh, men of color, uh, young people of color, just like all the time. I see anti-blackness in like daily life, just, you know, from everything from the way that we are characterized in the media or in entertainment, the kind of looks you get for talking a certain way. Whenever, you know, black people are just having a conversation, minding their own business, I feel like the intention is more heightened on you whenever you do anything. So if it would have been white people talking, it wouldn't be an issue, but because it's black, then it is. And just little micro experiences like that. Or like you're speaking too loud and things of that sort. It's something I like hear a lot when I'm on the train. You have to keep your voice down. Like, why are you over here paying attention to me while I'm talking? Like, I wouldn't have to keep my voice down. I feel like without moving the conversation to a conversation about whiteness, that talking about how anti-blackness manifests among other people of color mm-hmm. um, by like light-skinned or passing people of color who whose characteristics aren't immediately recognized in like a racial way, they can sometimes access the benefits of white supremacist power structures by not being in solidarity with black community and by avoiding topics about race and about blackness. Um, Because if you're avoiding it and you're not dealing with it in like a very critical way about how people of color communities interact because they're not homogenous, this broad term um, that keeps us, I think, from talking about who actually suffers the most under racism. Yeah, that's my issue with the, I love the idea of POC solidarity and I think that's something we should strive for, but I feel like it has to have a sort of critique and honest dialogue about how anti-blackness is like within all of these different colors. I feel like when we talk about like intersectionality regarding anti-blackness, whenever we talk about oppression, it's always like the bottom line, the through line, like the heart, the thickness of oppression because black people have been the most oppressed people. You know, I don't like it in terms of measuring who is more oppressed, but it, it is who has the most privileges, who's been 
given the most benefits, like social gain. You see it online. You see it every day with so much misrepresentation, like with the social conditions that everybody's living in. We really need to shift those conditions, really need to like tear at the fabric of our social framework because people are still suffering under this framework of thinking about, you know, black people. You know, people actually believe that black people are deserving of their oppression. Mm-hmm. Of violence. Of violence. Mm-hmm. And that is it's really wrong. That is extremely wrong. And like that's inherently dehumanizing. It's inherently violent. Like people are are shouting at the rooftops, like, "No, we are human. Treat us as such." Yeah, and people like say that without thinking about just the institutionalized like aspects of what people of color have to go through, in particular, black people go through like on a daily basis. Why that guy was upset? He may have just lost his job, and they don't put things in perspective. Is how I, I feel. I feel like they just say these people are like you know they deserve anything that comes their way, and they're not trying to get themselves out. But they don't talk about how when individuals try to come together and create unity in the community, how those individuals are targeted, you know, like the Panthers and um, things of that sort. Bobby, you were next. Kind of like how black culture is popular, but being black is not. There's this one store, it's like they kind of like, they sell the persona and like, you know, a lot of like hip hop culture and stuff like that, but everyone who's working there, is either like of Asian descent or white. And like whenever I enter there, I feel very watched and like targeted. And it's like me as a black person, it's not welcome to go into the store, which is like selling black culture. It's kind of like that with like the cultural appropriation of blackness. And Paul Mooney says, everyone wants to be an N word, but no one wants to be the N word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't say N word. <laughs> no, no, he did not. <laughs> oh, X. Yeah, I just wanted to say that when we're, you know, online and when we're looking at things that are happening real time, we have examples of anti-blackness with, like, people trying to reclaim, like, certain things that they didn't come up with themselves, like cultural appropriation of black culture. But there's still that ongoing thing where it's really cool to be black, but no one wants to go through that struggle, that struggle of being alienated socially, like in a way, every day, all day, being seen as either criminal, bringing up what he was saying earlier about how people are working, people are working hard to survive, but the conditions that they live in are constructed for them. So there's just generations and generations of this internalized oppression that people have to to go through to overcome in order to get to actual socially aware and conscious levels of thinking that people are like well they could be they could be going to college they could be doing this or that but it's like well capitalism constructs their poverty for them so they're trying to survive and you can't blame them for capitalism dictating how in what way they'd survive through desperation you have the kind of recent big boom in feminism with like beyonce Feminism is highly talked about now. It's very pervasive. It's become part of the discourse on social media as well as all media. But still, like first wave feminism, a lot of white feminists are throwing people of color under the bus with things like hashtag reclaim intersectionality 2014. That came after Ani DeFranco decided to do a a retreat, a feminist retreat at a plantation, at a well-known plantation and didn't talk about it, and then gave like a really half-assed apology. 
pointing that out, it's because we're not really recognizing that, you know, our oppressions are intersectional and we're not we're not trying to claim like an oppressive hierarchy. It's just wanting an understanding that we are oppressed and we haven't received our liberation yet. Yeah, it makes me think about after slavery, it wasn't no type of like discussion or there wasn't any type of like help to help black community. When you think about when the uh, slave owners, they were given like reparations for like the slaves that they had lost. They were they were paid to end slavery. The black community didn't have that same privilege. They weren't given any type of like help to help them uh, progress in society. It was the exact opposite. You had groups like the KKK, they came up to slow up the progression of the black community, to attack the black community. Next we have on Stag, uh, Jay Ray. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to touch on how for power structures to maintain their control, they usually have to justify their authority. And I feel like the white power structures that have come to colonize this entire country, including the indigenous, and by enslaving Africans and making them property, they have done that by continuously taking space and autonomy and demonizing people based on the color of their skin to kind of justify their authority. So a lot of people want to talk about reforms about the police to make their oppression more bearable or easier to endure by asking black communities to dress a certain way or talk a certain way. But it forgets the fact that white supremacist power structures need to have an other that is demonized and criminalized to justify having the power that they do and keeping it. This time and time again has been, you know, black communities considered necessary to be controlled, like uncontrollable unless there's someone there to control them. I mean, it has to be anti-blackness, this idea that an entire like group of people based on the color of skin have to be controlled. And there's just been no question of that. Sure, we could talk about, does anybody need to be governed? But there's this, this lack of dialogue about black communities are being enslaved. And targeted. For profit mm-hmm. and for power. To go on just on something I had said just a little earlier about one of the ways I see anti-blackness is the killings of black youth continuously in this country. There was a study done by the Malcolm X Grassroots Foundation called Operation Ghetto Storm. And it was a report from 2012 on the extrajudicial killings of 313 black people by police, security guards, and vigilantes. So if anyone has the opportunity to check that out, we'll post it on our page. We're going to close stack. What are some ways that we see institutionalized anti-blackness, like in our media, our education, and law, work, class status? Do anyone have anything to say about that? All of law is constructed by whiteness which that is whiteness in contrast to anti-blackness. So that every single institution is inherently racist and sexist, ableist, and heterosexist. A recent example was a a school in Ohio last year decided to expel a young girl for having Afro puffs. That's just another example of anti-blackness literally being codified they call them Afro puffs for black girls, and then they're like pigtails for anybody else that is not black. So it's clear cut, you know, an example of, of racism that is institutionalized. You can't wear your hair naturally. You can't naturally be black or have your natural hair in school or even in work. You got to straighten your hair sometime. It's seen as revolutionary, have your hair natural, like as a black person. And you can't really have that in a lot of these these businesses that you want to go into to survive. Meanwhile, you're having to assimilate into whiteness and affluence, which is also constructed whiteness, to survive, to 
be somebody. It's kind of something that would hinder our liberation to always have to ascribe to what whiteness is. And that in itself is anti-blackness. It's people not recognizing where they come from and literally trying to forget that. And these institutions are teaching us you know, are in education, yeah, they're they're talking about like Abraham Lincoln, he helped free the slaves. And it wasn't Abraham Lincoln that had anything really to do with it. It was slaves rebelling to abolish slavery. That is what liberated them. Many people don't talk about the many slave rebellions that were happening around the time that the Americans here decided to do their whole Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, that's what set me free. Uh, yeah, no one talks about that, like all of the slave rebellions, like you had Haiti, you know, and other uh, African nations that were rebelling, that were actually like fighting here in the United States, as well as in Europe. They started to realize that if they don't do something, they would have a slave rebellion on their hands as well. Next on stack, we have J-Ray. X, what you brought up kind of really reminds me that press people have always had their bodies policed, but black individuals their body has technically always belonged to another person in this country. And it was either like private property owners and now it's like the state, like a centralized authority. The prisons and the law was structured to imprison black people. They outlawed slavery. This was like a concession, I guess, except in cases of crime. And so whose hands shape law and shape what is crime? I feel like the law and prisons have just been built to justify continuously keeping black communities impoverished and then therefore on the defense and then therefore criminalized. This doesn't mean that prisons should be more inclusive or like equal. (laughs) It means that like the prison was built to subordinate black people and has expanded from there to become like an ever evolving oppressive apparatus that now is for profit. And so prisons as a structure of enforcing poverty need to be abolished in order to abolish poverty also. Uh, Next on stack, we have Anthony. Yeah, I just wanted to touch briefly on what X was talking about earlier about seeing anti-blackness in education as an institution. And with all these school rules that basically say you can't hang out in certain places after school or you can't skateboard in the communal areas of the school or you can't wear saggy clothing you can't listen to like certain music you know outside i just think like all of that is targeting a very specific culture you know it's a very specific race of people that is doing that i think it's really messed up when we teach children to fear and to disrespect the black individuals we go to school with. We teach like our children that the clothes that black people wear are not okay, or the li- music that they listen to is not okay, you know? And that's ridiculous. We should not judge children based on what they wear to school. <laughs> it's so useless, you know? On Resistance Radio, I'm your moderator, E. You are listening to a discussion on anti-blackness. Next we have on stack is Bobby. Kind of to continue the point about education and criminalization of black youth. They're currently closing schools right now, and 88% of the students affected by school closures in Chicago specifically were African American, Mm. 81% in Philadelphia. The statistics were just as high in Detroit, New York, Newark, New Jersey, Oakland, and DC. So obviously this is part of the plan, right? You close the schools, you cut the funding, and you send them to prison, right? And there is another way that you can profit off blackness. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, with them closing these schools, you're not giving people a resource that they need, like education, which will like help them progress more, look for work and things of that sort. It stops that from happening. And then people without jobs and not being like educated, they have to resort to means to feed their families and that are not acceptable. The next one stack, we have X. We've mentioned in other shows before that these institutions, like the police, are created, you know, from like slave catchers. Slaves, when they would escape, slave catchers were supposed to go out and get their property back to the property owner. And then you think about, you know, healthcare as well as an institution only serving the most privileged of people and people who were seen as people, people who were human, which like human is also technically another <laughs> another white construct, but also a lot of the time, a lot of people of color, especially, well, black women who were supposed to be getting benefits from the state were only given benefits if they were sterilized. Just like a lot of Native Americans, like that happened to, that's genocide. That is a genocide. This isn't hundreds and hundreds of years ago. This is pretty recently that these things happened and it's still going on. You know, these institutions still exist. So what do we have to, <laughs> what do we have to do with these institutions in order to stop this oppression from happening, in order to stop this genocide from happening? You look at the law specifically with crack, Whoa, I was just about to say that. That's powder awesome. cocaine. <laughs> you know, it used to be 100 to 1, and now it's 18 to 1, the difference in time that someone would serve. You get things like that, and then you also get cases, the recent affluenza case. Have uh, you guys heard about that? No. That white boy got off after oh, killing yes. four people, <laughs> and his judge claimed that he suffered from affluenza, a condition in which his wealth and privilege kept him from understanding the consequences, you know, he could bear. That same judge gave a 14-year-old black boy life in prison without parole, and he killed no one. Oh, my goodness. What? Yeah, but, I knew about yeah. the story. I just didn't know about the judge. And that happens so much with, like, the yeah, Trayvon Martin lawyers. Because like, courts are like factories he, where right? people come before them in the same <laughs> prejudices that the people have like comes through in their jobs you know like ju judges are just working yeah mm -hmm. and then it also like, crossed in the capitalism because it's like the 14 year old boy was sentenced for a far more time life in prison without parole and he's off you know so where's our um what poverty ends up <laughs> yeah, like, i wonder if that will work out the way around like, it doesn't uh, <laughs> no it doesn't it hasn't because that would be everyone's case i was hungry yeah exactly. that would be everyone's case why do you commit crimes other than because you're trying to survive like yeah, you know other than being dictated by capitalism and your conditions that are constructed also, um, we expropriate keep the expropriators, like steal from the people who steal from us. Yeah. Like, that's not the worst concept. <laughs> no. no, 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 it's not. We keep talking about whiteness and uh, using whiteness. Like, what are some things that are obviously white culture or what they are trying to force people to assimilate into? And one thing I can think of is language. Word. Uh, what words are acceptable and are like what is not acceptable? like your ain'ts and things of that sort and there's like me right now just sitting here just emceeing and just thinking of how do i not sound like i'm not intelligent or how right? yes make sure that people <laughs> understand me so just thinking about that right now it's just really interesting okay uh the next we have on stack is bobby 
I'm very conscious that I'm a black woman on the radio. Yeah, and that the way I speak, I have to speak a certain way for you to take me seriously. Mm-hmm. If I don't, then I'm not taking it seriously. For people who buy into that, you really need to decolonize that and really deconstruct like what you are holding hierarchy to, what you're holding a certain standard to, because that is anti-blackness and that is forced assimilation. In other ways of how whiteness is forced in beauty, like as a woman. Snaps in the studio. <laughs> All you see is these European beauty standards. Blonde, blue-eyed, white women are the most beautiful women. Skinny are the most beautiful women in the world, which all other women must be held up to. And so even when you think of someone like Beyonce, what is she? She's a skinny black woman, but blonde hair, very, very lightened. And her videos, we can talk more about that later when we talk about the music industry. The fact that you're told that your blackness is ugly, your hair is wrong, your hair needs to be straightened, needs to be tamed, and needs to be controlled. It being free is you not taking care of your hair. You wearing your hair natural is not professional. That is all whiteness, that is all anti-blackness, and that is all institutionalized. Next on stack we have X. Just in terms of language, it's really interesting how our minds are kind of shaped and manipulated by like these words that define either metaphors or materials. Language is interesting and while living in a predominantly white area growing up and then moving out to Hawaii where it was a not predominantly white area, it was colonized recently, very recently, and the language, it's Pigeon English and it's recognized as an actual language. There are activists that will not speak to people unless you speak to them in pidgin it was like how does it's like for example if i want to ask you would you like some gum it's like hey you like gum you like gum okay (laughs) and it's just a kind of way that people chinese people korean people predominantly the enslaved most marginalized people within Hawaii spoke to each other and fused that with English. So it's seen as like a Hawaiian pidgin English. That being said, we should be able to talk however the hell we want to without feeling that we're not human or not smart enough or intellectual. But unfortunately, institutionally, it's like constructed to coercion conformity. You have to conform to this idea of how to speak and how to sound. It's something that people are definitely trying to deconstruct. I definitely am. And it's hard considering my past is an interesting one in which I was made fun of going to LA high school for reading books and like, you know, being the person that was all about learning and everything. And people were like making fun of me. So I had a kind of like adverse reaction to that where I was just like, well, I should, you know, be able to to read Michio Kaku or read some random romantic period kind of literature and Ooh, not like get, what like what like, <laughs> like Piercy Shelley or something like okay. at the same time kids were revolting against that that kind of concept maybe a little earlier than I was if I'm trying to re-deconstruct that you should speak how you want to speak you should learn how you want to learn you don't have to opt into these institutions to grow and to learn also to further pump the academic industrial complex full of slaves essentially people who are indentured servants to their debt to these institutions. It's just another thing the government, the state wants us to participate in to work the off the state and the capitalists. <laughs> yeah, we're. Because they're making money off of us uh, going to school for education. Uh, next on stack is Anthony. So recently I saw Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing for the first time, and I looked it up online later, and it was registered with the National Film Registry for culturally significant films. 
Okay. So <laughs> at, first I, at first I was like, oh, this is like really incredible. You know, Spike Lee's movie is being put as like this culturally significant movie. And I did some more research and I looked up the whole registry. I could pull up the whole registry on my computer. And it was included with very weird movies like The Jazz Singer, which features like a white man in blackface like dancing mm. around and like singing like jazz, mm. you know? And then there's, like, Birth of a Nation is, like, the first movie, like, ever made in America. And it's, like, this KKK garbage made to dehumanize black people. Like, this time it was Italians and blackface chase this white woman off of a cliff. And it has the agenda in, in the making of it, of this racist tension, of this, like, racist history. And yet that is included in the same database, same, like, culturally significant movies of our nation, you know. And that's, like... That's really racist. That's really that's really messed up. And that's our history. We still like nominate movies to go on to this national film. It's ridiculous. The movie industry, Hollywood, plays a really big part in anti-blackness and helping perpetuate anti-black culture as well as white supremacy. If you just go and Google movies from 2003, 2002, do any year, you just look at the cover photos of each of the movies. All the movies that were made within any year, most of the people on the cover are white people. Seeing how this country is quite diverse and build on the packs of like slaves and as well as the genocide of others, you would think that they would have people of color a part of this industry representing themselves in good light if we were past racism or we were in a more equal society. Next on stack, we have Jay Ray. Kind of along the lines of media representation, but also language. Language is a very intense example of socialization, like clearly a very learned thing where we are taught how to speak and by default how to communicate with each other. And I just want to bring up something that maybe for more progressive, radical, anti-oppressive groups is very simple, but racist jokes and how language is used as a vehicle of oppression. And if you don't insist on like not using these words or like bringing up hey, like you're using this word oppressively. It's not helpful to any struggle against racism because I just find I keep hearing like things like use blackness as an insult, uh, as like a way to demonize people. Could you give um, an example? If well, you can, I was thinking of the, the Cards Against Humanity games. But I was just thinking about how people think that acknowledging racism and acknowledging slavery and acknowledging anti-blackness is done by bringing it up in a joke. And that, like, that's a way to like cope, like, oh, look how far we are from overt racism. We can laugh about it now. Really, what it does is it makes the room so uncomfortable for anybody that might actually be black and impacted by that, that like, you don't know if they're going to say anything. You don't know if they're not going to say anything. Someone should say something. Like, it doesn't matter you know, if you're black. Mm-hmm. We can't benefit from anti-blackness. So when people bring up jokes about that as an insult, how we use language and how we permit for language to be used around us is really important. And then also just my commentary on the media representation is that lots of typecasting. Like I think we learn racism and we learn sexism from watching media representations of them. And we continue reflecting what we see on the media. It's like this kind of unhealthy cycle of what we produce there or who's producing that. And I think that even if, you know, there's a predominantly like people of color caucus in the industry or like a black caucus in the industry, if it's still trying to get our own market Mm. in the white power structure, it's still perpetuating anti-blackness because Mm. we need to start creating communities amongst ourselves and not appealing to the white power structure. Yeah. Just to go on something you said, Jay Ray, about not having good representations in the media, as well as typecasting. I was like, turn on like daytime TV. And when you look at daytime TV and 
you uh, see the TV shows that they put on or the talk shows like Jerry Springer or what's that other dude's name? Um, he's been on for years. Mari. Yeah. Mari. Mari. Yeah. Mari. Mari. Uh, if you like just watch that show and like how they show people of black skin and the way in which they interact and like their lives are so like crazy. Like you ain't the baby daddy. That is the baby daddy. You ain't the baby daddy. That is the baby daddy. That type of like culture just being programmed into the psyche of the viewer of like, oh, this is how black people are. This is how black people act. Even those youth that may be black and only representation they see of themselves is that they think that's all that they can be. When you think about how the media perpetuates uh, sports and when it comes to like the black community, the only way you see positive roles of black people is if they're a football player or a basketball player or an entertainer just in general. You can entertain, but can't have you be seen as a doctor or any of these other socially acceptable roles. So I just like I think about that uh, of like not having like really good representation in our um, in our media. Next on stack we have Bobby. Think about all the movies that come out and that like. Uh, just think about this year. Why people love to flock to them? The whole like Twelve Years a Slave or like The Butler or The Jango Help. And Django yeah. Unchained. And then there was like, another a few more. Yeah, there's like all these like you know white savior movies. Mm-hmm. But like as black people, you know we gotta be really critical about what we support. I'm not about supporting Tyler Perry. I'm not about supporting Oprah. She's a, you know, a billionaire and it's like, you know, most of her staff is white. For even blacks who believe that we have to get ahead within the capitalist system, like even if you're going to go with that argument, for all the blacks that have done that in the capitalist system, they don't even really return the money back to their community. Like Dr. Dre Oh my gosh. Yeah. Dr. Dre, right after there was this incident at USC, and um, a black fraternity was having a party, and all the cops came down. It looked like they had freaking riot police. And I think like a week later, Dr. Dre donated how much? Like a ridiculous amount of money. It was a few G. Yeah, it was a million. No, it was millions. It was millions. Yeah, it was like $20 million or something like that. And he donated to USC. Like, you know what? You could have done that. You could have built a freaking school in the community that would have been access for like people who actually live in that community to be able to attend because people who live in that community of USC now can't even walk through it. Yeah, they're checking student IDs to make it so that you can even like go within your own community that's currently being gentrified. As black people who have mics or power, quote unquote, we should be very critical about who I support. Yes, us being visible is important. And, you know, there's like arguments for that. But how are we being visible? You got to stop taking those certain roles that they want you to take. That makes me think of when you talk about uh, USC is at LACC, the what race question are you on the application to get accepted into this the, uh, college? I hate this. Uh, yeah, so it's like the, basically it's the what race is you like Jeopardy game. And down the list, they have all the different, you know, uh, constructed races. You have like white, you have black. You have Pacific Islander, you have Asian, you have uh, Hispanic or Latino. When you read the description of those groups, uh, so for like Pacific Islander, it says, if your origin is of the original people and then they need the Pacific Islands. Uh, for Asian people, it says, your origin is of the original people and then it names the Asian continents. But when it gets to uh, blacks, it says, your origin is any of the racial groups of Africa. So every other group is an original people, but blacks, we are of a racial group. While white people, your origins are the original people of, it was North Africa, the Middle East, and Europe. So white people are like everywhere, 
and like you know blacks we're uh we're a racial group i guess i'm an alien um next on stack we have bobby again oh i just want to say that dr j gave 35 million dollars <laughs> he could have gave that money to like a predominantly black school that yeah. actually right. helps support black youth to you know progress inside of like the education system mm-hmm. it's like he could have done that with the money and he didn't I guess he's not the same Odre. no no i've been waiting for his cd to drop for forever and it still has not um <laughs> Speaking on some of these celebrities, there's been a lot of talk about like Beyonce. And I want to say that something just slightly on that is I'm like really like hyper, you know, critical. There's so much uh, anti-blackness in this country, Um, but still there is no other like racial group that can drop something and that the whole world like actually like listens and looks. And that's the anti-black culture. I don't even want to use the word like privilege. It's like the way in which we defined anti-blackness was uh, like like by targeting black culture. It's like the forbidden fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean to use a biblical <laughs> references. <laughs> it's like these people are bad. Don't touch them. You can't. You know, don't be them. These people are um, less than human. But then at the same time, it's like everything that these people like you know do is reappropriated from our music, like classical music, like rock, jazz, all of that. That's like black culture that has been reappropriated, and now you see like all these white faces for classical music, rock, jazz, as well as when it comes to R and B. Last year. Who won for like best R and B? Justin Timberlake and uh, Macklemore. Uh, Macklemore. He got an award a rape song. For like... Oh no, that's Bobby Thicke, right? Robin, Robin Thicke. Thicke. Yeah, he has a rape song. Blurred oh, Line. Oh, Blurred Line. Uh, next one stack. We have X. I was gonna piggyback off of something Bobby and you were saying about anti-blackness, as well as like fetishizing Dicks. blackness. We should be extremely critical, but look out for one another. I can't say that I don't fully support some of these black people who are doing things. If they're literally perpetuating exploitation through assimilating into affluence and whiteness and not really bringing their resources back to their communities or not being aware of this exploitation, then we as black people, as people who are involved in the resistance, draw the line when it comes to capitalists, when it comes to black capitalists, when it comes to all capitalists who don't might not even know might not even be aware of the economic system that they're living in and and then perpetuating that next on stack we have bobby adding to what x said it makes me think of the blogger who does black girl dangerous kind of wrote something about a middle critique or whatever after Beyonce's album came out and it was kind of like, you know, no matter what, like Beyonce's a sister and we're going to have your back. And that is true. You know what I mean? That's like, that's what's up. Black solidarity is strong in that. But at the same time, we're going to still have that conversation. We're still going to like critique your capitalists. Because like, I feel like Beyonce, like her brand of feminism is basically white feminism with the black face. Because she's still leaving her poorer sisters behind and she's still perpetuating white supremacy and she's still perpetuating patriarchy and wealth and beauty beauty standards, you know. And so by doing that, she's reinforcing like my oppression. So I do feel like that sort of conversation is important, but like always with that solidarity there. And then also like back to the fetishization is black men and women are both like sexually like fetishized, you know, Mm -hmm. like black men, big like a black woman it's like our big butt and that's like supposed to be like the thing that makes us acceptable you know like Mm -hmm. that's why you might want to sleep with us is because she has a big butt or he has a big and it's like that over fetishizing or sexualizing or also to dehumanize and i feel like that's the root of anti-blackness it's always to dehumanize and to always make us less and make us other Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm 
I agree. There's where we get intersectional because objectification by way of patriarchy is also something that dehumanizes. Like a disability, you know, that people have is also something that dehumanizes people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate everything that everyone has to say. <laughs> to say. And I'm sure we can, like, go on. I We haven't even scratched the surface of, like, anti-black culture and white supremacy. Uh, we still have so much to say, I feel, sometimes. With that being said, like, how do we resist? What are some solutions? What can we do to combat anti-blackness? What can we do to uh, combat white supremacy? Uh, take it away, X. I feel like we've been saying this almost the whole time of our show. Just, like, <laughs> have questions. Be critical. Having a critical analysis will definitely at least dismantle the status quo. And then taking, you know, some actions in opposition to that status quo. Yeah, we talked a little bit about intersectionality and I wanted to touch a little bit on like the intersectionality that I often see within these like organizing circles as well as I guess identity politics and how that's kind of like framed around how how it's like necessary to like have an intersectional analysis or being critical of all of the oppressions that were faced but coming at it in an anti-authoritarian way because a lot of liberals use the intersectional analysis without considering, you know, like, yeah, we want to talk about ending, you know, the wars between, like, race and, like, class and, like, sex and ability and everything. How I'm seeing it often spotted off is, is that there's still an existence of, say, class. It's like classism is something that people are often using and it's like we don't want there to be an existing class society we don't want there to be a better class caste system we want to dismantle that we don't we don't want that liberals will often be like well yeah we can have that but let's be let's have race but like be respectful of each other's races let's have sex you know but let's be respectful of the genders and let's have class be respectful of the class and it's like no we don't we don't want class society period and i think your analysis falls short if you're a liberal and you're thinking that way you want to preserve your comforts and you'll do anything to preserve that comfortability versus people who are trying to eradicate these hierarchies these social hierarchies and and these social categories that ties our identities to marginalization uh, next one's like we have bobby I participate in resident like how I see people resisting against some um, anti-blackness, white supremacy. I think there's like, a huge natural hair movement going on, which is really cool, you know. And there's lots of like support for that, especially on like Tumblr. We're teaching each other, and it's like very anti-capitalist, you know. We're teaching each other how to make our own products because the majority of black women products are actually made by white people. And so, you know, and they... And messing us up. Yeah, and there's, just, there's stuff in it that's, like, bad for your hair. Mm -hmm. So now we're teaching each other what natural oils to use and how to make shampoo and, like, you know, different hair types. Also, Black Tumblr and Black Twitter in general, because the media doesn't represent us, because the media doesn't give us a chance to have a voice, I feel like social media, we've kind of, like, taken it and created our own sort of, like, media, you know? And that's what I mean when I refer to it as Black Tumblr or Black Twitter. And that is call-out culture, you know? I know there was an instance for Halloween where this one white guy was dressed as George Zimmerman, this other white guy had blackface, was dressed as Trayvon Martin, and there was a woman oh, posed with both of them. And, you know, Black Tumblr found out, got their Facebook, found out their name, found out where they worked, and they got fired. 
and that's still not justice, but it's something, you know, and that's and that's action know, being taken. Yeah, that's direct action. When you watch TV, you know, like what like look at what you're watching and you know, see what images are being perpetuated to you. And you know, and see how that relates to anti-blackness and how it supports white supremacy. And it's not saying not watch them, you know, watch the Beyonce video, but be hypercritical of it, you know? <laughs> um, and it ain't just Beyonce. You oh, know? I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't, even, yeah, I don't also everything. don't want to think. It's everything. There's also things like the uprisings and like Trayvon Martin and people taking the streets in like Crenshaw and all over the country. I just wanted to put this out there and suggest it, but I think that black artists well, should boycott the Grammys and not attend. And I think there was a year in the 90s where that happened before, where black wasn't recognized in the Grammys. So you had Will Smith, or he was Fresh Prince then, Jazzy Jeff, Salt and Pepper, and uh, Flavor Flav. What was that group Flavor called? Flav! Who was that? Public Enemy. Public Enemy. Public Enemy. They all yeah. boycotted the Grammys. And I feel like that just that in 90s in general, that's, oh God, we can talk, we can have a show, a whole show about like black entertainment in the 90s oh and what God. happened to it. Mm-hmm. Because like there was a purposeful thing that happened in the 90s. And if you look, there was tons and tons and tons of strong black TV shows that were really, you know, that would just represent us in like different breaths. Right. And then, and then and there black was black movies too. Black movie and you know, just black and then music, mm-hmm. you know, and there was something Where did that. Eve go? <laughs> <laughs> Where did Queen Latifah go? Right, Eve's still around. Oh, Queen on the Latifah's, Cover Girl ad. Yep. And so, like, and she's like now has like assimilated, and she went from being like, "Who you calling a?" You know. She used to wear you like African clothing. Yeah. Like, Just unity. She used to wear like the really big like African hats and like really colorful African clothing, like all the time. Mm. Where you at, Latifah? Call us. I'm resistant. <laughs> We're on Facebook <laughs> and Tumblr. <laughs> Tell us what happened to you. Yeah. <laughs> white supremacy is what happened. I mean, right? let's, yeah. I mean, let's just be straight up. Like yeah. you know, it's like white supremacy is like when you are making your way through these structures, you find yourself having to leave parts of yourself like out at the door when you walk in. It's like me right now in this radio station. You know, it's like I am overthinking my words and like making sure that I don't like say the wrong thing and make sure. I'm like communicating so uh, all audience can like understand me. And I probably can say something in, uh, I'm gonna say black vernacular or like street vernacular that people of color might like understand like much more quicker than my like, um, for lack of a more, a better term, like my intellectual speak right now. And like, (laughs) trying um, to front. Yeah, so it's just like (laughs) when you're like find yourself moving up in different parts, whether it be school, whether it be uh, your work, you have to act a certain way. And what is that way that is like appropriate for you to act? And I'm going to say like acting white. Um, Some probably say, no, that's just the regular. Now you need to speak proper English. But who says what, what is proper English? And what does proper English even mean? It's like that's holding white people's language and their culture higher than any other race or any other culture. And that's not cool. I should be able to speak and flow however I choose. Um, next on stack, we have Jay Ray. I think that listening to people in your community and allowing them to, to like talk about their own struggle is really important. Confronting overt and subtle racism when it happens or, you know, really just doing internal reflection because I know sometimes things will pop up and I'll just be really surprised. And then I'll like really be down on myself because I want to be in solidarity with my community. I don't want to use the term ally and I'm really glad that we kind of are avoiding those terms. I think it takes more accountability than just like naming yourself or like wanting to like be in this role. I do think that in oppressed communities, unfortunately, 
people do try to replicate the hierarchies of of the current power structures as a solution. Well, for sure. And I just want to you know point out that that is not a solution for oppressed communities, especially black communities, especially indigenous communities. So not appealing to power structures that benefit whiteness, not thinking you need an authority figure to organize your community and to be in solidarity. Be your own hero. Yeah, don't need, we don't need no figureheads. And no. when figureheads develop, that's a cause to be more critical, not to like step back and let people take leadership positions. Sorry, um, Jesse. Yeah, um, <laughs> not using the authoritarian violence of, of the colonizers <laughs> against each other. And I think that, and interesting if you talk about the Black Power Movement, and I feel like we could have an entire show um, on learning and educating myself because I know I need to learn more. But talking about the Black Power Movement and how it was built non-intersectionally on the backs of black women mm-hmm. and how it does kind of replicate the same authoritarian systems as discipline within your own group. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder about that. Being hypercritical of people who come into the community, like Bill Cosby, how he always got something to say. And I was like reading something recently that he said, uh, you have to speak better. and You got to like talk better. and You got to dress better. And without any type of like context, uh, like so questioning people of color who come and tell you to act white, you know, tell you how to speak or like question them. Something else I was thinking is stopping your car, especially if you are, you know, of white skin. Stopping your car when you see like five to ten black guys up against the wall or brown guys up against the wall. How often do you see five to ten white guys against the wall? Mm. You never see that. Never. You you always see young black men outside their cars in handcuffs and getting a ticket written. And sometimes they don't even get a ticket. They just do it just to harass them and to humiliate us. And I keep saying them, like uh, taking myself out of that, um, I'm continuously harassed by the officers. So stopping your car, especially if you're white, like asking some questions because you know the cops not going to mess with you. Like straight up, like um, start using your white privilege. Start calling some of these institutions like these schools that classify uh, black people as, as a racial group and not of original people. Start uh, using your privilege, using your education, uh, using your speak to uh, be hypercritical of the institutions that are around us. Uh, next on stack, we have Bobby. I feel there is this sort of normalization of black people being shot and killed, whether it be some person who is in uniform or not, mm-hmm. you know, and the cops and the Klan go hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> and like... Word. And, yeah. and I just, I feel like it, it's starting to get to the point where it's just like, oh, another cop killed a black person. Oh, another cop killed uh. a brown person. And it's like, it, this is not okay. Like, if you're listening to this right now, this is not okay. You need to do something about it. You need to go in the streets. Your representative is not going to change that. The whole institution is against black people. Okay, this is a right supremacist society. So to do something about it, we must abolish it. Going into the streets, uh, you were saying, going into the streets for what? To dialogue, to go talk about these things. Just listen. Go out there and people of color, like, lead the way. Women lead the way. Next on stack, we have X. I don't necessarily agree with the whole people who use their privileges to, like, help. It makes sense, but sometimes it sounds like use your white supremacy benefits to help other people who don't have the white supremacy benefits and it kind of, I don't know, saws at my my neck a little bit when I say it that way. That being said, it is listening. It is abolishing the very privileges that you have by not being willing to maintain them. And that's really scary, I, I guess, for a lot of people who don't experience disadvantages or not having privileges because look at what's happening to everybody else. It's People are wanting to maintain that because they don't want to let it go. 
Another solution would be organized political resistance, like ongoing and in the streets, like everyone was saying. Horizontally. Yeah, horizontally. And I don't I don't think that you have to fight your own kind of sense of complacency that capitalism often reifies with you know, media and all of these distractions that provide comforts to us because our comforts within this country is being maintained by the exploitation of the most marginalized within this country, as well as marginalized peoples widespread globally. Specifically, a lot of black and brown. Yeah. And a lot of the third world countries, they are exploited because this imperialist country is exploiting them. So we are in the heart of the beast. Yeah, get get into the streets. <laughs> and the get in the streets theme, you know, a lot of the time when there is outrage around something, people try to cover it up so it'll look nicer. And so I think that a society built on anti-blackness, you know, black communities defending themselves will never not be controversial. And so I think we need to stop avoiding controversy and take streets and also be confrontational. Like, why are we saying it isn't okay to be confrontational with a oppressive, violent, dehumanizing, hierarchical system? And the media often criminalize uprisings as they're happening before people are even arrested by calling them riots and putting property value before the value of people. So say if there's a quote-unquote riot or an uprising, or usually what it is is police being violent and escalating against communities. And then reporting that. And then reporting the that because the police um, have credibility and, you know, black communities are not considered credible because of anti-blackness. So go to the riot. Go there. Go there. Watch the police and film the police. Make sure they're not, and the reality is they are abusing people. So film them. <laughs> if you can recognize and be honest with yourself that you're not as targeted in the system as black communities or communities of color, then recognize those privileges and work to betray them and work to create and overthrow this system so that that system of, of, of inequality isn't in place. Something that I've noticed a lot is when you ask someone their favorite music that happens to be white, they say the music they like, then they say, but I don't like rap. And <laughs> it's like stuff like that. You know, it's like, did I ask you what you did? And like, I said, what music you like? And you tell me you don't like rap is, you know, like just be conscious of the things that you say mm-hmm. and not just, you know, just speak offhand Think. because somebody might black out on you. If you see a gender or, you know, racially ambiguous person, it's not really OK to ask, what are you? Because it's very, very dehumanizing. Mm. It's very dehumanizing to always be reminded that like, oh, I don't fit into the gender binary or, oh, I don't fit into the racial, not binaries, but into these racial categories. So. It's best not to guess. If you get to know people, you can find out and eventually ask them. But like walking up to somebody and being like, hey, what are you? It's like, okay, I'm human, maybe. Thank you once again for listening to On Resistance Radio. We have much appreciation for you allowing us to be able to speak on these subjects. And we are learning and we are growing and we do not have the answers. We are just having a discussion. Um, So everything that we say is not for you to take as truth. It's for you to think and question, question everything, including us. There are no absolutes. (laughs) No, there (laughs) is not. We have a five-week series that is coming up. Uh, The date is still to be announced. Watch our Tumblr as well as our Facebook. We are going to end with a short poem from the book Haiti. Haiti was one of the first African nations that overthrew the white colonialists that were trying to take them and bring them here to build your way of life. Since the time that white colonists began to use Africans to turn Africans into slaves, with all her heart, Mama Africa has been celebrating the courage, strength, and pride of the children of her entrails.
With great courage, Africans declared, no, no, do, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. We do not want, we do not want to leave our land. We refuse completely. We refuse forever. With great courage, Africans declared, what? This is not true. What is this? We do not, we do not want to lose our liberty. We refuse completely. We refuse forever. Since then, and until they reached Haiti, Africans continued to affirm and to repeat, we must seize our liberty because we rather death over slavery. The white colonists will persecute us. Not a problem. The white colonists will torture us. Not a problem. The white colonists will always have slaves. Not possible. The white colonists will kill us. Not a problem. We prefer death to slavery. This is why we say, not, 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 not. Resolutely, we have decided not to obey. Obey, 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 obey. Until we all seize our liberty. We swear and swear again, there are two words. First, not. Second, obey. Therefore, do not obey. In Swahili, Haiti, which means do not obey. This is why we say, Haiti, 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 until we become free. Thank you for listening to On Resistance Radio. Americans of father throwing rocks at Anaheim police, sending the drones, least. Minasina Hamra, 1984, huh? Yeah, they will co and tell pro. Yeah.